The Athletic. It's Straight Out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, hold on, listener, let's get through this pain together. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Well, it's Monday. How are you feeling, listener? Probably not that great, given what's happened this weekend in the world of Chelsea, but we're here to help get you through it. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined by the Athletics Chelsea expert, Liam Toomey, fresh from a well-stocked Etihad buffet. It's David Datro Fafana I feel sorry for. Hello. <laughs> what a debut it was for him. Uh, Sam Parkins with us too. Sam, how are you doing? Very good, Matt. Good to see you both. Likewise. Um, we have to... Dispense with the pleasantries there, I'm afraid, listener, and get to a truly dismal day in Manchester. Riyad Mahrez to make it 4-0. That's how to do it. Two for him, four for Manchester City, breezing into the fourth round of the FA Cup. The first half was tough for us, absolutely. And then, you know, some young players on in the second half... We respond a little bit, had some moments, but not enough. And um, clearly it's a disappointing night for us. And, you know, we're sorry for the guys that travelled because we didn't want to go out of the competition, that's for sure. But at the same time, Manchester City were better than us and it shows the level that we have to get to. So Chelsea thumped 4-0 by Man City. They exit both domestic cups at the first stage they enter for the first time since the late 80s. Liam was at the Etihad. Here are his full-time thoughts. I strongly considered recording this voice note at half-time because the game was so obviously over by then. Fortunately for all of you, I didn't because I would have missed David Datro Fafana's Chelsea debut. Surely the most downbeat debut in recent Chelsea history. It's another utterly miserable day in an increasingly long line of them for Chelsea at the Etihad Stadium. City really enjoy tormenting them here and they they reveled in this again for the first sort of 10-15 minutes it looked like Chelsea were just about hanging around in the game giving City the odd issue here or there playing through the lines but it it always looked like it was creaking at the edges particularly in the fullback spots where I think Lewis Hall had a much more difficult day than than he did as a sub in the week um, and Trevor Chalobah got isolated a couple of times and you could see he was playing out of position. The Chelsea players in front of me are going to acknowledge the fans that stuck around. To be fair, most of the Chelsea fans did stay until the closing minutes. Riyad Mahrez's second penalty was the cue for most of them to leave. Although they, they have stuck around. Denis Sicaria was the first over to acknowledge them, actually. But this was a miserable, utterly miserable day for them. They chanted for Roman Abramovich. They chanted for Thomas Tuchel. And there's a sense, you know, beyond the injury crisis, which has obviously contributed to this result, there's a real identity crisis at Chelsea that feels like the more significant one. It's not easy to see the direction on the pitch right now. Certainly not for the fans who are very much not on the same page as Graham Potter yet. And it's not clear whether they ever will be. It's not easy yet to see the direction of the new ownership when, you know, the massive summer spending has not made Chelsea really any better on the pitch and arguably not even prevented them from going heavily backwards. 
Um, and there's a feeling as they head out of the FA Cup, th the third round stage for the first time since 1998, an incredible record, that this really is a new era for Chelsea and, and one that supporters are not particularly relishing right now. Yeah, I think that's something of an understatement to say that supporters are not relishing what's happening at the moment. Um, Sam, there's Liam's take. Have you got a theory as to why there was such a drop-off in Chelsea's performance from the one that we saw on Thursday to the one that we saw on Sunday? Um, I felt it was going to be difficult for Lightning to strike twice, to be honest. Um, you're playing up against a magnificent team, we know that. And... They'd lost a few more important players, I think, on on Thursday. This is a real thin bear side that took to the pitch. And it's a different proposition when you go away from home. Uh, so I thought it was a real lacklustre display. I thought the intensity that was there on Thursday wasn't apparent from the off. I thought the organisation wasn't good enough. That's to be understanded a little bit maybe in the in the first half, given the changes, the, the debut for Bashir Humphreys. Lewis Hall and, and Chalaber, as Liam mentioned, having difficult evenings. But it's the it's the final ball. It's that it's that quality on the ball, the patterns of play, you know, that was encapsulated by Manchester City's third goal that they have in abundance, that Chelsea just don't have in the final third. The amount of times, again, where you think we might be in business here, and then the final pass goes astray, or there's someone really lacklustre with their first touch. Havertz in the first half a couple of times when they sprung and his touch let him down. You think these are the these are the big opportunities in the game away at the Etihad where you have to make an opportunity to get a strike. So um yeah it was a it was a real tough, tough evening and the setup, that real narrow kind of box midfield almost. It's a four three three, wasn't it, to my eyes. Two advanced midfielders and then Mason Mount and, and Ziyech, if memory serves me right, so narrow, maybe to stop Manchester City's intricate football through the middle. But what it meant is that the fullbacks had a really tough evening. And again, that third goal, when the ball got transferred over to the right-hand side, Lewis Hall had this 2v1, Kovacic, slow to get out there. And uh, the third goal goes in and that's the end of the game. So you have to come up with some kind of tactical setup to frustrate the opponent. The really good opponent, but yeah, it was exposed on on that occasion, and um, they just didn't lay a glove, did they? I think fifty five minutes wasn't it until Mason Mount had that half attempt. Um, it's not good enough, is it? It's not good enough in the final third at all. I asked for some opinions on Twitter. Many thanks to everybody who got in touch. We got loads of them, so we won't get to them all, but we'll touch on a couple. Uh, Trebling says, can we take comfort from there being no new injuries? Well, I don't think so, because uh, Graham Potter revealed <laughs> that Christian Pulisic's going to be out for weeks, as he said. Uh, here's one from George. I'll put it to you, Liam. He asks, is there any insight into the conviction of the ownership strategy and this project? Has Potter got a free pass until the end of the season or will they make another change if necessary? It's the question on, on everybody's lips. The answer to my mind would be he's here for the season. Is that what we're hearing this Monday morning? Yeah, we're not getting the sense that he's under immediate pressure for his job. You know, as Simon has said on this podcast before, he's under pressure to win. As Chelsea coaches are always under pressure to win, but the, the distinction from the Abramovich era, I think, is there's a, there's an understanding from ownership of you know the context of the summer the fact that he was he was plonked in in the middle of september ahead of a real sprint of games virtually no time to coach the team in the first sort of 6 weeks 
or two months really of his of his tenure. Um, and then you've got this weird World Cup break where he didn't get the whole group to work with. We were always told that, you know, top four qualification was a very, it's a very important part of the business model, unsurprisingly. <laughs> and I, I suspect if Chelsea don't qualify for the Champions League next season, which is now looking almost certain, that is going to have an impact on what they can spend and and the decisions that they can make off the pitch. But the the impression, you know, we've been given up to this point is that, the main thing Potter will be will be judged on is kind of signs of progress, you know, this season essentially. Um, they I think they want to see signs that Chelsea are progressing in the right direction. Now, obviously, there are very few signs of that on the pitch right now, and we've gone through the reasons for that. Some of them, I think, Potter has to bear some responsibility for. Some of them are completely out of his control, but it. As I said in the in the voice note, I can completely understand how fans are feeling because a lot of them didn't sign up for any of this. This has all happened to them over the last year. You know, the Abramovich sale, the takeover, this bold new direction that I think if you asked a lot of Chelsea fans, a lot of them wouldn't have seen the need for. Um, they were quite happy with the way the club was being run, dysfunction and all. And of course, replacing Tuchel with Potter as a decision that has been and continues to be wildly unpopular with the fan base. I thought Potter was quite interesting after the first City game in the week with with what he was saying. I thought he was he was a bit more real and less guarded in a press conference than I've seen him so far. But to, on Sunday, he was kind of back in his sort of protective shell, effectively sort of saying it is what it is. <laughs> um, I don't think his comments were going to be. We're suffering at them. We're not in a good moment. Yeah, yeah. Every every. Yeah, I don't think that. his comments are going to kind of allay any fans. Uh, concerns about him particularly and it's just a it's just a pretty grim landscape right now there there's very little signs of optimism but we I think we have to look at it also and say these two games against Manchester City were always likely to provide this type of reminder of just how far away Chelsea are right now you're talking about the defending Premier League champions the team that have been pretty consistently one if not top two or three best teams in Europe for the last five, six years with the best coach in the world. To me, the bigger surprise was that the scoreline was so close on Thursday, not what we saw at the Etihad. I do I do also think, just finally, there is increasingly a fear factor now with Chelsea when it comes to playing City, I think, particularly at the Etihad. They've lost every single meeting with them since the Champions League final. They've generally been dominated and you look in, in recent years, I think since that incredible 3-1 in Conte's title winning season at the Etihad, they've just been completely humiliated on a yearly basis there um, and in a series of really uncompetitive games. And I think that's part of it as well. I think that that team went onto the pitch and they, from the first minute, even when the game was quite close, they looked like they were playing with fear. Um, we'll do a couple more on, on Sunday's game before we have a couple of general ones. Sam, I'll put this to you. Kieran says, given how good Chukwemeka and Zakaria were on Thursday, why do we persist with Kovacic and more pertinently Jorginho? Those two both got sub Kovacic at half time. It was a bit of a surprise given given what we know about Graham Potter. I thought that, that Chukwemeka in particular didn't start given how impressive he was on Thursday. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't have been surprised at all if he'd have started. Um Zacharias maybe being protected now, given the level of his performance. And that, that comes into it before the game there because it's been brilliant to win, clearly. 
but the odds were stacked against them. So he's going to have to be thinking about Thursday and Fulham and, and getting through this period with so many injuries, with as much to show for the efforts, for his to get try and get as many points before everyone is recovered and he can have more what looks like his first team. So that's possibly played into the to the decision making last night of the lineup. So I wasn't overly surprised by seeing a few players, Chuck Wemeka comes probably into the reckoning for Thursday, Zachariah left on the sidelines. But but yeah, I think now, right now, reputations, what you've done previously in your Chelsea career, what you've done previously in your career goes to one side. And he's got to pick players that are going to show the intensity and are going to fight for the shirt because it's going to be really difficult to pick up results in the next few weeks until Chilwell, James, Kante, Fofana, until some of these are available again. It's not a given that they're going to get maximum points in many games in the Premier League. So he's got to pick the players that are in form, that are showing the fight for the shirt. And Zakaria definitely on, on Thursday performance falls into that category in the midfield position. So I wouldn't read too much into that lineup. I think it's more pertinent what happens on on Thursday in the Premier League games ahead. But yeah, it's I think it's a time when reputation goes out the window and the supporters want to see fight. Uh, another player who was questioned, I'll put this again to you, Sam, because it's from another Sam, is Conor Gallagher Chelsea standard? Obviously very good at Palace, but is he good enough for a team who look to dominate most games? He also seems like one of the few players, few non-key players who would have a market. Um, is, it, is it fair to say that he would probably look better in a better team and that as a young player, it's difficult to, to try and do it when, when those around you aren't? Yeah, I think... I think this morning it's right that he may face a little bit of criticism and I've probably been one of his biggest supporters. Um, I thought he was sensational, nothing short at Palace and I thought it was a must that he was in the Chelsea squad this season. Um, and I think that some of the stuff written and, and some of the criticism has been too strong for a young player that we all want to see succeed and it's his first real season in Chelsea squad. But But last night that wasn't him. You could see the... The frustration, there was one in the second half when he, I think he dallied on the ball outside the Manchester City area and got robbed. And he looked at the at the sky and his arms went up and he had a he had a poor game last night. So this is going to be a test of his, his character. I would imagine the staff will probably get around him today, tomorrow, um, because he'll probably need a bit of a G up and they'll need a little bit of love. Um, and at the moment, it's a struggle for him. So... Yeah, but we could say that about a number of them. I think he's someone that's being highlighted a little bit at the moment, unnecessarily. Um, and hopefully he can recover from it. But I think the criticism that's going to come his way today from Chelsea supporters is probably um, the first time I've been in agreement. That was, you know, that was below par from him last night, but there was a number in that category. Uh, Liam, here's one from the always enjoyable handle Hot Cross Nuns, who says, with everything we're hearing, Potter is here to stay. So what are the next best steps he and the club can take to make a success of this project? Curious where we go in terms of tactics and selection now. Um, I, guess, I guess one um, one ray of sunshine from being knocked out of the cup is that he will get a bit more free time to actually do some training and impart his methods rather than just preparing for games, right? That, that's got to have been something that's handicapped him in, in the first four months of his Chelsea tenure. He might get a few free midweeks. Imagine the luxury, and you know Antonio Conte somewhere rubbing his hands at that prospect. We, that that's what Graham Potter was used to at Brighton, um, and I think that's another part of the the many ways in which he's had to adjust uh, to being Chelsea head coach. 
is that he he was put into this run of games where you're basically rest recovery and then go again and sort of maybe like a brief tactical session the morning before a game, but no real time to do any substantial tactical reworking of this team. And in terms of next steps, it's, I, I would say primarily this season looks increasingly lost. You know, there's very little to play for. They're in the Champions League. I don't think anyone expects them to go very far in the Champions League or even maybe go beyond Borussia Dortmund. I'm glad I'm doing that trip because it might be Chelsea's last Champions League away for a while. And the top four already looks gone. You know, I looked on, you know, 538 do their projections and they were saying a 9% chance after last week's Premier League fixtures of, of Chelsea making top four, 5% less than Brighton. So so it looks it looks like this season is pretty much completely gone a la 2015-16. And so in in that sense, one of the missed opportunities I felt with 2015-16, was my first year covering Chelsea, was that they didn't really do enough to give the supporters hope in that second half of the season. Gus Hiddink didn't really play enough young players and players that might have had a future at the club. It was the perfect opportunity and they still stuck with senior players every single week who'd, who'd been underperforming and kind of got them into the mess. And so I feel like given what Potter said last week about this massive transitional period, maybe the best next step is to prioritise between now and the end of the season players who may or may not have a, a long-term future at Chelsea, younger players who can be part of a, a Chelsea revival and then at least you find out what you have in them. You get a better idea of what you have in them, whether how ready they are for Premier League level. And I don't think using, you know, playing against Manchester City away as the benchmark is a particularly fair one because they're, they're not going to face that scale of challenge. Lewis Hall isn't going to face Riyad Mahrez every week if he plays at left-back. You know, it's... It, it's. Uh, I, I think a few of these guys are worth persisting with and, and seeing what you have with them. Sam, that's that's going to be something that'd be quite difficult for Graham Potter to manage, won't it? Because, you know, that there's a like Liam says, there's a, an argument to say, well, you just go with players who might be at Chelsea in the future. But then, how do you manage? Say it's a, a Koulibaly, Jorginho, a Kovacic, Havertz, these kind of people who are, have been underperforming. How do you manage them around the training ground if, if you're basically saying, well, you're not really in my plans? That 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 brings a problem of its own, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. Um, but it's up to the players to produce the performances, isn't it? And um, yeah, it's it's real difficult proposition if you've got people that don't see their futures at the club and you still have to interact with them day to day on the training ground. I mean, it sounds like there could be a problem with Aubameyang. What's the latest with that, Liam? Did anyone put that to him after after the game? Because you know, there's a there's a player that's got a little bit of previous in that department and keeping those players on board and trying to get the performances despite some of them possibly not going to be there beyond this season is is really tricky, as you say, Matt. And at the moment, it's it's evident to me. I said it before on the, the podcast and it's an easy thing to to go back to, but the lack of leadership is, is really evident. I think, um, I know there's injuries, but the senior players at the moment, there is not the characters of the past. And I don't say that lightly, but I think that's that's a good gauge of where we are, really. They should be leading. They should be leading the Bashir Humphreys and the Lewis Halls and the people like that. 
And at the moment, there doesn't seem like there's that leadership. Just on Aubameyang, we were told it was a minor knock. The reason he wasn't in the match day squad, I believe a, a back injury. I'm always reminded whenever I hear someone going down with a minor back problem of the the bit in the secret footballers book where he said whenever you hear hear someone's got a minor back injury that's usually code for something else going on but you know having said that we've been given no reason to disbelieve in this case that uh Aubameyang's issue is genuine so we'll see what happens in the next couple of games. Uh, Liam before we move on from this game the Thomas Tuchel chance I get it and I get why lots of Chelsea supporters would, would rather he was still the head coach but we were talking earlier about how jarring this whole transition is for Chelsea but before the sanctions last year we were also talking about Chelsea being basically a deluxe cup team who were nowhere near challenging for the Premier League title and if you look at Tuchel's last three away games Leeds, Southampton and Dinamo Zagreb I would still say that they're right up there with the worst performances that, that Chelsea have put in all season so it's not as simple is it as saying well Graham Potter's not as good as Thomas Tuchel even if that might be your opinion that is not the reason or the whole reason why Chelsea are in the position that they are at the moment No it's not and at, at the risk of going amateur psychologist on a, on, a, on a few thousand fans that I haven't directly spoken to since those chants um I don't know. I, I get the impression that it's, yeah, there's probably a bit of rose-tinted spectacles going on, you know, in terms of how they're viewing the recent past. But I think it's a broader expression of not being on board with the direction that the club's taken. And also, for all the problems that were there under Tuchel, I think you can still make a credible argument, and, and I think many Chelsea fans probably would make this argument, that they would have more faith in Tuchel given his track record and his achievements at Chelsea to be the person leading a rebuild and a culture change than Graham Potter who has obviously built a very good career at lower levels but has never proven himself has never even been confronted by a challenge of this size Um, and I think I think that's a big part of this a big part of what's so unsettling for Chelsea fans right now is that Yes, you've you've got these, you know, executives from other well-run clubs that have been brought in to, to sort of bolster the recruitment operation. But aside from that, you've got this massive, massive change going on at the club, um, massive painful change. And it's being led by owners that are learning the business of European football very, very publicly and occasionally, you know, quite painfully. And it's being led by a head coach who is not proven at this level. So... There's not much to hang on to. You know, if Thomas Tuchel was still there, even if he hasn't specifically done this type of job before, um, because I don't think he has, the fact that he is at least an elite coach, um, I think would have reassured a lot of fans that there was some sort of expertise leading this operation. And I'm not sure they have that level of confidence right now. And I, I think that's feeding into the chance as much as they're, they're not realistically expecting Thomas Tuchel to come back if they sing for him. You know, that that's not going to happen. But I, th- I think it's just a broader expression of, of their frustration and, and unsettlement at the moment. Well, it's very understandable frustration and unsettlement. And as unpalatable as it might be, maybe looking north to Arsenal, who appointed a totally rookie manager in Mikel Arteta, who they stuck with and now they're top of the league. Maybe that'll happen to Chelsea this time next year. We can only hope. OK, next today, we're going to talk transfers. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So the Fafana, Badiashile and Andre Santos details are concluded. Liam, you've written a piece for The Athletic on Chelsea's plans for all this young talent that they're snapping up. The multi-club model is pivotal to this whole thing, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's something that, that Boley just dropped in in his appearance at the Salt Conference back in August. Um, and no one had really been talking about it at Chelsea until that point. But it's increasingly clear that it's a very important part of the way they see the running of the club, all of the all of the transfer executives that they've come in. It's no coincidence that they've all come from clubs that operate within multi-club structures. They're all very used to that kind of model and how it can be harnessed for not commercial purposes, primarily. I know that there's a heavy sort of commercial brand element to what Manchester City do with the City Football Group. But Bowley is kind of clearly thinking more along developmental lines and a, and a, and a club where you can put players in an intermediate league to to get experience in some cases to get sort of work permit points if they're if they're Brazilians or South Americans um, and and kind of get them more closely manage their development than you know the way we saw Chelsea do for in the, particularly in the early part of the 2010s which is this mass loan system um, that had wildly differing results because you're you're outsourcing development to clubs who have no long-term stake in those players becoming the best versions of themselves. Um, So it is a big part of it. And really the piece was about there being now a sense of urgency to, to find a suitable club to partner with because they're already signing these, these talented young players, Andre Santos, David Dachofafana, of course, Cassidy. I think I think Chukwamika's in a separate bracket. He was in the piece, but obviously he's involved with the first team already, so I don't think he'd be part of this. But more will follow. And you don't necessarily want to be in the same situation as as the old regime were of, of having to try and find loan clubs and sending them out and not knowing if they'll get game time you want, not knowing if they'll be played in the position you want you want them to play in the style of football that you think is best for their development. All these things can be more closely managed if you have a partner club that works really closely with you. And we know Chelsea have explored a couple of clubs in Portugal. I've heard it. Estoril, I know Portimonense were, were mentioned. They did have talks with Sochaux, who are in the second tier in France. I'm sure they've looked at others that we haven't heard about. But there, I think there's there's more of a sense of urgency now because the, these guys can't just hang around the dev squad in, indefinitely. And at the same time, they may not be ready to play for, for Chelsea's first team if Chelsea's first team is going to try and get back to the standards that we're used to um, quickly. So it's a, it's a thorny sort of issue, but I think that's, that's something they'll be looking to address now sooner rather than later. And, and what about the first team 2023? You expecting any more incomings or outgoings this month? They're still looking at midfield options. Obviously the, the Enzo Fernandez talks, Collapse. That doesn't mean that's completely over. I, I wouldn't rule anything out, but um, at the moment the two clubs are pretty far apart, and there seems to be some uh, some some anger on the Benfica side, which has been expressed publicly. 
they're looking at other midfield options. I've seen I've seen Marcus Turam mentioned in in terms of forwards in the last couple of days. We I don't think we've done any specific reporting about that. I haven't heard anything specific about that, but there's a school of thought that that makes sense because he's out of contract in the summer. He's maybe a guy that you can get a knockdown fee um, to come in and contribute immediately. But I think the broader the broader question that's quite important that Chelsea have now with this window is you can look at it two ways. You can say, well, this is the last transfer window. We can really pitch ourselves as a Champions League club to players to try and sign them. They don't look like they'll have that luxury in the summer. But at the same time, you can't typically get the best players in January. They're not available. You, The guys that will be at the top of your wish list, you'll be getting quoted prices like they did for Enzo Fernandez. So if you are a sort of self-confident club that has a proper diligent recruitment process and, you know, backs yourself to find value in the market, whether or not you're in the Champions League, which is the, the kind of club that Chelsea's new owners say they want to have then maybe you do back yourselves to, to, you know, keep your powder dry in this window, not, you know, throw more money after what increasingly looks like bad money in the summer um, and just plan for for the end of the season and, and where you can do real work on the squad and, and, and put real plans in place. So it's a, it's a key decision they have to make because any money they spend now is money they can't spend later. Yep, it's going to be a fascinating rest of the month. The best place to keep up to date with what's happening transfer-wise is The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod to sign up now if you aren't currently a subscriber. OK, next today we'll have a look ahead to Thursday's game at Fulham. So Chelsea back in Premier League action for the second Thursday in succession as they make the short trip to Craven Cottage for the first of two games against the Whites in the space of four weeks. Chelsea below Fulham and Brentford in the table. A win would take them level on points with Fulham. Um, Sam, I think that David Datro Fofana ought to start this game given the fact that he actually provided some sort of reference point in a way that Kai Havertz just couldn't against City on Sunday is that a stretch for you is that putting too much pressure on him or or do you think that that would be worth a go I totally agree with you Matt yeah Um, you don't want to put too much pressure on him and and expect too much but he gave Chelsea something in that second half undoubtedly his touch looked good Um, his mobility was obviously greater than what Chelsea have, have had in in the last few weeks in that position obviously he was he was pretty starved of the ball and there was only three or four occasions when he was involved in the action but he, sh- he showed something didn't he on a night when it's difficult to pick out anyone positive I thought I thought Humphreys was a positive in the second half it looked much more comfortable in a three um, but I would expect Thiago Silva to come back into that into that role whether it be a um, a back three or a or two centre-halves but why not I think the top end of the pitch since Brozier's got injured is a massive problem Massive problem, and to have, you know, maybe have a if he's selected to play in a more withdrawn role. There's no one else really suited to go up, go up top right now, and, and Havertz looks like a really low ebb. I hope that that goal uh, against Bournemouth was going to ignite a little bit of consistency. It's done the opposite. I mean, the last two performances, um, sorry, the performance at Forest and then the performance on Sunday was so so poor. Um, and I'm not singling him out. Obviously, it gets highlighted probably because he gives the the penalty away as well. There were some players that were equally uh, lacklustre on on Sunday, but 
he can't keep persevering with him. So I think a roll of the dice in that position with someone who is a little bit of a surprise element could be the way forward. Liam, can you defend your boy? Havertz, is there, is there any justification for, for starting him at the moment? And, and is he, you know, we had the question about Conor Gallagher earlier. Is, is he still one of the few sellable assets that Chelsea have got if, if they need to raise some funds in the summer? Because it, it, take away the goal in the Champions League final, which is massive, obviously, but it just hasn't really happened for him. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'd, I mean, it's not something we've looked into because we've never even been given a hint that Chelsea would consider selling Havertz. Obviously, the old regime would, wouldn't have done it and the new regime haven't really been in long enough to make those kind of calls. But um, I think he's in a bracket of quite a few attacking players at Chelsea who you plonk them into a functional attacking system, suddenly they look transformed. And I don't think that's just Havertz. I think that's a lot of players currently who look terrible at Chelsea. If you just put them into City or, or Liverpool's teams, you'd think, where has this player been? Um, because I th- I think this is the way Potter looks at football as well. Whenever we've asked him about individual attackers not performing, whether it's Raheem Sterling or, or Havertz or, or anyone else, he always goes back to how well the, the structure is working. And you look at Chelsea's XG, particularly in the last sort of seven, eight games when, when this form has massively tailed off, they're just not creating anything. And they can they can barely put any passes together in the final third that that are um, remotely incisive. I think the the Bournemouth game increasingly stands out as the exception. I think because Bournemouth were extremely accommodating opponents as much as anything. I I still think that yeah, Havertz Havertz form is is clearly an issue. But the the primary the primary issue is that Chelsea's attacking system is so disjointed and incoherent at the moment that I, I think if you put David Datro Fofana in there right now, he wouldn't have a lot of a lot of opportunities to really affect games um, because they need to get the collective structure working. And that's got to be number one priority for for Potter in training leading into Fulham is just to try and get this team, regardless of the eleven that he puts out, they have to start looking like a cohesive unit from one end of the pitch to the other again with the ball. And and if they do that, I think Mason Mount will look better. I think Kai Havertz will look better. Um, and then I think if you plonk someone new into the system like Fafana, like Amari Hutchinson, who so far hasn't been able to make any sort of impact, or Chukwamika, you know, these guys might have a bit more of an impact in, in a system that looks like it's actually functioning. Yeah, you wonder what kind of impact a hundred million pound striker currently out on loan would have, but we haven't even mentioned the possibility of him, which tells you a lot about uh, what happened with Romelu Lukaku last season at Chelsea. Um, Sam, these are massive, massive games for Chelsea, aren't they? I, I'm, I'm taking Palace into this as well, and I'm chuckling because um, Lucy's just written something quite profane about Tottenham in the running order, uh, which has amused me, pointing out that they beat Palace 4-0, as bad as they are. I mean, Fulham's a tough game. They're seventh in the Premier League. They've won their last four in all competitions. But Chelsea need what? Minimum four points from Fulham and then Palace at home? Probably six. I mean, they're 10 points off fourth place, but but just for morale, if nothing else. Four points would be an excellent return, wouldn't it? The state that they're in right now, in terms of getting in the Champions League, then it probably has to be six despite the amount of games that are left. And yeah, it's, it's a, always a big-ish game against Fulham. But given the way they've started the season and that they're back in the Premier League, 
that'll be a really good atmosphere on Thursday. So that's an incredibly tough game. Despite them not having Mitrovic, I don't think. I think he's out. So Suspended, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure he'll play up there. But they can see goals for them. So if that cohesion, as Liam speaks of, can somehow be found in the next few days on the training ground, I think there'll be opportunities. Um, so that's why I think, you know, Fafana's not the worst idea. They'll create more. They'll have more on the goal, undoubtedly. It's Fulham aren't watertight, but... You know, they're uh, they're having a really good season. So that, that's an incredibly difficult game. And, and Palace are basically dreadful or remarkable, aren't they? There's just zero in between. So hopefully we'll catch them at the bridge on a on a really off day. But yeah, uh, memory serves me right. They've normally taken care of business against Palace, apart from that one where Ben Teke went through and lobbed Sam the Allardyce goalkeeper. The yeah, so it's been a decent fixture for Chelsea in recent times, but... At the moment, it's hard to see where the wins are going to come from. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully four, hopefully four points will just, like I said, buy a bit of time, relieve a little bit of pressure, allow for a couple of players to come back and get fit, and then, you know, there's some real, real tough, big, big teams um, in opposition in the coming weeks. There are. In a month or so's time, Liam, but I'm just feeling a slightly more optimistic. Say if Chelsea do get four to six points from Fulham and Palace, they then got Liverpool away, obviously tough, but not as tough as it was. Fulham again, West Ham, Southampton, then Spurs again. Chelsea got a good record there. Leeds, Leicester, Everton. So it's you know there are points to be picked up. I know that we said that about Brighton and uh, maybe even Newcastle and, and games like that, but. There is potential for Chelsea to make some ground if they can get some players back and show some form. And yeah, if you want to pick up any of those straws that I've just clutched at, then feel free. That was a remarkable uh, tour de force (laughs) in optimism, I have to say. Um, I mean, when I was looking at those fixtures sort of towards the end of the World Cup break, just before Chelsea got back, I know I I was exceptionally downbeat about the Bournemouth game and proven emphatically wrong about that. But... When I was looking at January, I thought it was, in terms of opponents, about as bad as Chelsea could have hoped for, or about as bad as it could possibly have been with Manchester City and Liverpool and the other two games being London derbies. It just felt like a really, really difficult month. I think, yeah, beyond that, it should it, it should ease up a little bit, but I I still think things could get worse before they get better. And this this Fulham game to me is is massive. It's absolutely massive because, you know, all of the things that that people on the outside have been saying about Chelsea under Potter, the you know, have the players down tools? Are they playing for him? I I don't usually subscribe to those things. Um, and I did see I I did see effort at least a, an attempt to implement the game plan in the early stages against City before the game just completely got away from them. But if they can't muster a performance for a for a West London derby against a Fulham team that will see this as one of their biggest games of the season, and a Fulham team without their top scorer, you know, if they if they can't muster a performance and potentially win this game, or at least, you know, give give people cause for a bit more optimism, your kind of optimism, Matt, um, with their performance, then I think that will look worse for Potter than these two games against City just because you're not ultimately being judged against City right now. Chelsea is so far off that standard but if you can't get if you can't be competitive in games like this 
then that's a real damning indictment of, of where things are and it becomes even harder to sell you know the plan and the direction of of things well whatever happens on thursday we will react to it in our second pod of the week that will be another friday show for us uh, given that the game is taking place on thursday Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-18s finally began their FA Youth Cup campaign this weekend. Their rearranged third-round tie at Kings Meadow against Bradford City resulted in a 3-1 win for the Blues thanks to goals from Captain Leo Castledine, Tudor Mendelidowu and Zane Silcott Jubri. They go to Cambridge in round four the Saturday after next. Uh, the under-21s resume their PL2 season after the long winter break. It's tonight as we record Monday. They go to Leicester. I'm at that game, so I'll let you know how they get on on our show on Friday. That'll just about do it for today, though. Um, Liam, this is your moment to shine. I mentioned your piece on transfers. You've got the uh, City Pity Party piece as well. Anything else in the pipeline that Athletic subscribers can look forward to? I'm just going to Fulham. Um, I haven't been to Craven Cottage in a couple of years. I'm going to wear extra layers because I'm fully aware of um, of what that what being on the on the banks of the Thames on a on a wintry evening can do. You're going to do that lovely walk from East Putney Tube all across the the riverside. No, I usually I usually go from Hammersmith on the other side. So I don't, yeah, I don't even go anywhere near that. And pops in the crab tree. Mm. It took me ages, actually, years ago to to realise where the Michael Jackson statue was because I never went <laughs> round that side of Craven Cottage. So yeah, but I, I do love going there. It's probably my favourite stadium to visit away stadium to visit it's either that or Goodison really and I'm going to Liverpool as well which uh, t- eight years in sports journalism or in football journalism and I've never been to Anfield so I'm heavy on the match coverage front and racking up the miles in the next few days and weeks it's going to be a straight out of Cobham double header on Thursday producer Lucy's there too I mean just imagine the quality of voice note we can get if the two of you <laughs> team up that could be absolutely exceptional Sam what have you got on for the rest of the week quite a few days um I'm working on the Palace game on Sunday now isn't it yeah Sunday uh Liam what I will say is the new stand's done you a right favorite Craven Cottage because that it knocks up the temperature a couple of degrees at least I would say so don't That's be too to don't be too fearful don't don't over don't over layer, I would say it's not too bad. Okay, oh that's good to know. Always better to over than under because you can you can subtract rather than um, rather than add. Anyway, I think this has run out of steam a little bit, somewhat like Chelsea season. <laughs> so let's keep our fingers crossed that something good will happen at Craven Cottage on Thursday night. We will tell you all about it in our Friday show. But thanks to Sam, thanks to Liam, and to Lucy, and to you for all your questions. Sorry if we didn't get to them, but we did read them and appreciate them all. We'll be back with you later in the week. Bye for now. <laughs> The Athletic.